Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard. Let's start off right off with the uh, important thing, changes to imputation credits. What's all this about? Yes, well, imputation credits are very important to the average investor and, and the Australian Industry Group came out this week who and said the business supports the abolition of uh, imputation credits in exchange for a lowering of the tax rate. Now, I'm not quite sure who Australian Industry Group represents, but you know the only beneficiary. You think it would be industry? Well, yes. Well, we've got a lot of clients who none of them are members of the Australian Industry Group, um, and and you know the only people who will benefit from this will be offshore investors because they don't get the benefit of the imputation credits. So the average the average investor will be far worse off if the government gets away with abolishing imputation credits. So, so yeah. imputation credits are the bits of credit that are yeah, paid so that ensures to the tax that, office. that when you get a dividend. You're only paying tax on it the one time, so you get a credit for the tax that the company's already paid on your dividend. So, if your if your marginal tax rate's below thirty percent, you get some of the tax back, and if it's above thirty percent, you have to pay the additional tax to bring it up to your to your forty eight percent tax okay. rate. So it's a clean, easy system, works well, provides equality. It's one of the fairest bits of legislation in the Tax Act, as a matter of fact, because it means that everyone pays the tax on their income according to their marginal rate. Now, abolishing that will mean that, that, that someone who's on a marginal tax rate less than 30% will be paying um, 30% on their, their dividend income, and and someone who's paying 48 will be paying um, the company rate plus the 48, so the individual will be far worse off. Mm, so if that, like that comes in, you need to, or perhaps even now, go and protest to your local member about... Uh, oh, get we, the banners out. Get up. the banners out, yep. you know, because the industry lobby group, AIG, whoever they may represent, is, is lobbying the other way already. Yeah, there we go. Okay, in the meantime, what about the last week? We had a little bit of a mm, hiccup. Oh, the share market's up and down, mm, you know, like a yo-yo, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's going up again? Is it after the down? It was, down up, it was, it was up a bit this morning before I left, but I, 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 don't, I don't know what it's, what it's doing there. Now, um, seems to change by the minute. Anyhow, um, a sign of the volatility of the share market, of course, is the price of gold. It's actually up 6% of the week. Um, and uh, gold and silver are always seen of stores of value in uncertain times. And just looking back at some history now, the gold price is $1,675 an ounce last night. And on the 6th of, uh, which is the furthest we go back on the sheet, 6th of the 1st, which is, uh, you know, it's... Mm. Month, month ago, and a bit. Yeah, it was fifteen hundred and forty-three. So, so, so in that that time, the gold price has gone up, um, you know, nine percent, which is a is a fair increase in a month. And similarly, the silver price was up five percent of the week as well. So, you know, the volatility in the equity market and the, the currency markets to, is reflected in the in the in the flight to safe haven, supposedly. Um, the industrial minerals, um, the copper was down 1.3% uh, on the week um, to $6,384 a tonne. Um, the nickel the nickel was down 3% to 3.69, uh, which is $11,394 a tonne, which is one of the reasons that nickel producers such as um, Western Area's share price continues to fall, even though they're one of the low-cost producers around the world. I mean, it's getting to the stage that they can't make any money either. And um, surprisingly, the tin price has gone against the trend and it's up uh, 7% for the week. So, um, yeah, so... Um, Overall, um, you're all right if you're an investor in precious metals, but uh, not much if you're a general resource stock investor. Um, the, the Australian dollar was down 1.3% to the week to 71 cents. And someone asked me this morning, uh, when's the price of the 
dollar going to go up? And I think uh, not for a while. I think it's more likely to go down than up. And, and um, you know, there is still that Deutsche Bank report around, floating around that says its target's 50 cents. Mm. Um, and the Great British Pound, um, we were down against the pound of about 1%. We were down against the yuan, which is the Chinese current, one of the Chinese currencies, um, by 1.3%. And um, we're down against the euro to 62 euro cents, which is down 2% of the week. Mm-hmm. So the currency is drifting down again. Mm-hmm. So um, it wouldn't stay be at a bad, home. Stay <laughs> at home or it wouldn't be a bad idea to go and... Uh, buy some currency now in case it drifts down further. Because yeah, it's still been hovering up and down a bit, hasn't it? Still, yeah. I mean, but it's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's trading around the 70, 69 to 71. Yes, okay. Yes. Yeah. And if, if you're going to buy your currency, one of the things you need to watch is is, is the exchange rate. Um, a lot of places advertise commission-free, but really you need to watch the spread what you're actually paying for the currency. And the spread being the difference between, between the buy, buy and, and the, the sell. sell. And rates. if you just go along Baymont Street, for example, there's a big difference between a couple of the financial institutions with their display boards out the front. So it's easy to see. They have yeah, to advertise to it. Yeah. Right. Well, they don't yeah. have to well, advertise it. They advertise it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the big four majors seems to have the worst exchange rate of the lot. So. Mm. Uh, okay. Yeah, and so the two things you have to watch is what the actual exchange rate is in the commission. So when they say there's no commission, it's the that's it's the being spread made up in the spread. Yeah. Mm, okay. okay. So um, uh, the oil price, um, the the, the uh, oil price continued to drop. Um, the West Texas West Texas crude price was down another five percent to forty dollars a barrel, and of course um, that hasn't all flowed through to the the petrol prices. But it's interesting. Um, Newcastle was a dollar ten a litre um, this morning. Um, which is down two percent on the week. Sydney, which is completely reversed where we were last week, Sydney was a dollar eighteen a cents a litre. So now you're just going to Sydney to get your tank filled, Jane, um, which was up sixteen percent on the week. And Newcastle, um, the diesel price was down three percent to a dollar fifteen a litre, and the Sydney diesel is down one percent to a dollar ten. So there's been a big, big, a slight fall in Newcastle uh, unleaded petrol prices, but a big rise in Sydney unleaded petrol prices. Mm. Must mm. have been as a result as our comments and Kyle's <laughs> comments last week. <laughs> Could be. Who knows? Yes. Okay. Uh, and that's a look at what's happening price-wise. Um, we'll have Henry and, Hen- Henry and then we'll have Mandy. With um, Yes, of course, later on we're going to talk Granny Flats and Centrelink with Mandy Barton. And she's got all the good oil on how that affects you. And we're joined now for our market snapshot with Henry Jennings, Senior Commentator with the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Stephen Pritchett, over to you first. Henry, how are you today? Stephen. I'm very well. How are you? Good. You're, you'd be getting a lot of calls from your subscribers there uh, with this market volatility wanting to know what to do, I would have thought. Yeah, it's, it's, been, uh, it's not been a pretty place to be at the moment, the stock market. We've had uh, a couple of really awful days this week. So, um, yeah, we're certainly getting some very concerned uh, people. We've been uh, pretty much saying uh, no shame in cash at the moment. Um, and certainly uh, we've been avoiding the resource stocks for some years. So, mm. um, but um, the banks have been... Uh, haven't been kind to a lot of investors at the moment. So. Yeah, CBA came out with a reasonable result, though. Wasn't I thought it was a great result. To be honest. They, made, they made a record profit again, um, you know, $4.8 billion. Um, They maintained the dividend, which was, uh, which was a good thing as well. Yep. So, 
you know, it's it's hard to get really down on those numbers. There's a lot of concern about um, their exposure to um, resources, mm-hmm. um, which is, is is minuscule. I heard um, I heard um, Ian Narev on the, uh, the on the TV last night with uh, with Tiki Fullerton talking about their um, their exposure to resources, which was really really tiny. You know, mm-hmm. out of the nine hundred billion dollar loan book, I think they had. Now, 1.9% exposure to the resource sector overall, um, of which 45% was the oil and gas. And out of all of that exposure, only about 1.8% of that exposure was uh, classified as impaired. Hmm. So um, I think the housing sector is a far bigger um, issue for uh, the banks than uh, the resource sector. Yeah, I would have thought so. The housing sector is the, the bubble that's going to produce the... You know, everyone seems to forgot what happens in 1990. And it was the property sector that brought the banks unstuck. Well, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, we, in theory, we had that in the GFC in terms of the property sector bringing the, uh, the banks unstuck in the US and then spreading around the world like um, some sort of Triffid-like virus. Um, but um, this time there's, there's talk that it's, it's going to be the infection from uh, resource company debt and exposure to the banks rather than uh, ordinary homeowners. Ah, well, that, well, I mean, that's, that's happening in some of the, 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 the mining towns up the valley here. I mean, the prices have dropped 20 and 30%. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyhow, any, those CBA shareholders are all right for the medium term. The share price has fallen a little bit, but they're getting their dividends, so they'll be happy. Well, that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's... Um, when you look at the banks at the moment, some of those banks, their fully franked dividend yields are actually higher than their PEs, mm. um, which is, uh, it's been a long time since you could have said that. What's mm. a PE, please? A PE is a price-to-earnings ratio, so um, the uh, analysts will work out what a company earns per share, and then the, uh, the price then becomes a multiple of that. So uh, for a company like um, CBA, they're on, um, you know, say, 10 times multiple, so they would have uh, earnings per share of around you know, seven dollars uh, well, the CBA at the moment they're about uh, seven dollars thirty so they're on a P of about ten so the price is seventy three dollars so that's kind of how it works mm. the number of years that the bank's profits are to get your money back that's pretty much it yeah. and so speaking of money back uh, AGL started a renewables fund um, yeah. they, some of these energy companies you know you have to wonder about these because I've got a quote to put solar panels on the roof of the office here yeah. and it's going to take us three years to get our money back and then after that all the electricity is free. Yeah. So, well, I did the same quote yesterday actually because oh, AGL are very aggressively pushing into solar yep. um, and I saw it on uh, I think Channel 9 on the Sunrise program. You know, Basically you don't pay anything um, and they put it in and there's no upfront payments. But when I actually put in, you know, where we lived, et cetera, and how many people in the house, um, I was going to save 300 bucks a year, and it was going to take me 10 years to actually pay off the system, um, which didn't seem particularly attractive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously you're doing better than me if you can... Well, well one, of the, one, of the, one of the reasons is in business, you see, because the consumption of the energy is all during the daylight, where it, where, where, where the yeah. solar panels... Uh, and, and so at night, uh, at home, unfortunately, the consumption's mainly during the night. Yeah. But, but once the storage technology gets better, I mean... Yeah. You know, the, the economies of this is all going to change. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit sad to hear that you're not burning the candle at both ends, Stephen, and working not at night as well. But, but yeah, you're right. Once the technology changes, this is this is going to be um, a big game changer. Of course, um, people uh, like uh, 
Elon Musk uh, from Tesla are trying to change this technology and battery technology in one of the, the key sectors, I guess, this year. One, one of the, uh, the interesting sectors in the market could be lithium, um, which is one of the key components, of course, of, of battery technology. So there has been some, uh, some good interest recently in lithium stocks, um, mainly on the back of this. But, uh, but AGL certainly looks as if they're, they're hedging their bets in terms of uh, energy, um, going towards more renewables. They're starting up a $3 billion fund. I think they're kicking in um, a couple of hundred million bucks, um, plus uh, some of their wind farms, I think, to seed the fund. And they're hoping that other people are going to come in as well um, and take it up to that $3 billion level. So certainly, you know, that seems to be the way these energy companies are heading away from carbon-based fuel and more towards renewable energy. Mm. And uh, speaking of that, uh, Stockland's first half profit was up as well. Yeah, I mean, Stockland, uh, this is one of the, the big property trusts, yep. as uh, your listeners will probably know. Um, and you know, they've joined the ranks. We've actually had some good, good numbers uh, from one or two companies. Uh, Stockland have delivered a, a pretty solid uh, profit um, and uh, pretty upbeat about the future. They had a profit around $313 million, which was up um, 45%, and their net profit jump 50%, so um, not a bad um, set of numbers from Stockland. Um, property trusts have been one of the, the good performing sectors um, this year, while everything else has been collapsing. Um, property trusts have, have performed very well. The stock is up uh, about 2% today, um, but it has performed very well. These property trusts seem to be, um, I don't know if immune is the right word, but they certainly seem to be sidelined in all the current market volatility. Because mm, they're still being driven by the yield. Um, and yeah, but I guess they are being driven by the yield, but so should the banks in that regard. Um, you know, Stockland have uh, and other property trusts usually have exposure to commercial property, whereas banks have mm. probably more exposure to residential property. Um, you know, as, as sure as night follows day, when oh, yeah, yeah. the other one will fall. So it, it's strange that property trusts have been uh, sort of been left out of all the, the market selling. Okay, and just one thing, um, BWX's share price has risen on the demand for uh, natural skin products from the Chinese, yep. and yet Blakemore's and Vitaco's share prices seem to have come off the boil a bit. Well, they have. I guess uh, Blakemore's um, got a little bit ahead of themselves, mm -hmm. um, and we also had an update from Vitaco the other day, which I guess was somewhat disappointing given noises that have been made from uh, from other stocks in the sector. We've seen uh, Bellamy's, which got absolutely smacked uh, over a couple of days, came out with a market update and actually increased guidance and the market reversed um, from 10% down to 15% up in the space of, uh, of uh, 10 minutes, uh, which shows you how volatile these things are. Um, but Vidico unfortunately came out and just said they were going to meet guidance from the prospectus, which was a I guess a little bit underwhelming given what we've seen in other things. Um, but as you say, the, um, the skincare company, uh, BWX, um, has been very, very good. They're up to uh, they're up another 7.5% today as well. So once again, we're seeing this clean and green theme um, and anything that's quality, uh, organic, or you know, along those lines from Australia is, is very much in demand in China, especially these kind of, um, um, you know, Feel good products like uh, A2 Milk and uh, Blackmore's products mm. and Bellamy's, and, and now we can add, uh, I think it's Sukin, isn't it? The, oh, something the, they put on your skin. Jane might know about it. Eh? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> Jane knows. I'm, I'm surprised you don't know about it, 
Nah, no, 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 I don't buy any of that stuff. It's, <laughs> it's too, it's too messy. I don't like putting it. It's all too messy. Anyhow, <laughs> thanks for that, Henry. My pleasure, Stephen. We are looking forward to finding out about granny flats from Centrelink's Mandy Barton. Stephen, lead the way. Well, I've been speaking here to Mandy about granny flats, and I, I've. Um, Found out that a granny flat isn't exactly what I thought was a granny flat. So, Mandy, can you tell us what a granny flat is for Centrelink purposes? Sure. When a person says says the term granny flat, most people think of the self-contained building in the backyard. The cubby house. Yeah, but for our purposes, a granny flat is created by a person paying for the right to accommodation for life. So they can... Uh, exchange cash or assets um, to be given that right to accommodation for life. So, so what you're saying, if someone, if, if you want to, if your your mother-in-law or mother wants to come, and, for example, or your father or father-in-law wants to come and live with you, they can give you some money in, in exchange for a life tenancy um, over a room in the house or something or other. Yeah, that's one way it can be established. Yeah. There are a number of different ways that a person can establish a granny flat right. Um, one of them would be to transfer the title of their home to someone else in exchange uh, for that right to accommodation. It can be through doing the conventional, building the actual granny flat in the backyard, um, or it can be exchanging cash for the right to reside in a property the person already owns Um and they can utilise the space that's already there, or the person may need to do a renovation or an extension to accommodate them. Okay, so 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 from from the 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 um, person who's going to live there, what happens to their Centrelink benefit? Are they, are they counted as a homeowner or not a homeowner, or they're entitled to rent assistance and all, all those complex things? Well, that that depends upon how much they pay for the right to, to accommodation. Mm-hmm. So we value the granny flat by looking at the contribution they've made. So where a person um, transfers the title of their home, it's the value of that property that determines um, the value, and we then look at that value against a measure to determine home ownership. So there's a threshold within our policy that determines whether or not a person establishing a granny flat is considered a homeowner for Centrelink purposes or a non-homeowner. Okay. So if someone, gets, someone, so, so, so someone say, moved in and you built a little flat down the back and say um, they gave their son or daughter and all, say, 300000 and then they built this little cottage down the back, um, what what... what what would they be a homeowner or a non-homeowner? In that example, yes, they would be classified as a homeowner okay. because the the current amount that we look at to determine that difference um, is one hundred and forty nine thousand dollars. Okay, so anything over one hundred and forty, they're they're basically a homeowner. One hundred and forty nine thousand, they'd be classified yeah. as a homeowner. As a homeowner, then a person does not qualify for rent assistance. Um, if they paid less than that amount, then potentially, if they were also paying some rent, they would qualify for some rent assistance. Oh, Sounds a little bit like having your cake and eating it too, doesn't it? If you, you pay for the granny flat and then you're paying rent as well. But I suppose it depends on the level, does it? Yeah. And I mean, what we need to be looking at here is we're looking at the, the Centrelink customer themselves in terms of how is this going to impact them. But the person who is providing the granny flat right also needs to do some research into their circumstances and the potential implications from a capital gains tax perspective, um, where they're going to... if it, you know, if it's a house they're going to own in their name, uh, they may have 
you know, tax in the future? Uh, if it's cash, where are they going to invest that cash? There's lots of implications for the person who is providing the granny flat right also that need to do some research to ensure they're making you know, sound decisions. So if they're, if, if they're classified as a non-home or a, or a homeowner, the normal assets tests then apply? Yeah, so that home ownership status would then determine which asset test applies to the person. Um, interesting to note where the person does pay less than that current threshold of 149000 and is classified as a non-homeowner, Centrelink does maintain the amount they paid as a non-financial asset. So there's no deeming applied to it. It's simply treated like a car. We would yep. maintain a, a granny flat right of you know $100,000 as a non-financial asset on their record. So that does you know use up some of that difference between the homeowner and the non-homeowner asset thresholds. Right. So, so for example, if they, they've got a house and they sell it for, for uh, you know, 800000 by doing this, they're not likely to become entitled to the age, age pension. Well, they may. They may. Well, we, we need to have a talk about something called the test of reasonableness, okay. which can apply in some circumstances, and we'll go into that in a minute. Okay. Interesting. So, and we will go into that in a moment. Uh, as this is Thursday Finance on 2NURFM and we're finding all out, finding out about granny flats and all the implications for Centrelink purposes with Mandy Barton from Centrelink. And uh, so we'll be back in just a moment. Uh, Lake Macquarie Family History Group. Uh, this comes from the 2NURFM community service file, and we do that thanks to our sponsor, Law Partners, Newcastle's leading injury lawyers. They have their meetings every month, and the next one is on Saturday the 20th of February at Marmong Point Community Hall in George Street, Marmong Point, from 10 till 4. That's a decent time. The, the topic this time is members researching their Australian and New Zealand ancestors. And the guest speaker at 11 o'clock in the morning is Ben Mercer. He's the Australian representative for Ancestry. And so this guest speaker will be here at 11 o'clock on the 20th of February. Everyone's welcome, visitors and new members, and Warren can tell you more. And Stephen Pritchard, we're talking with Centrelink's Mandy Barton about granny flats so and reasonableness. We've has discovered something called the test of reasonableness. Yes. So tell us about that, Mandy. Okay, so... Under the legislation, we have gifting. Many people would have heard of, you know, Centrelink rules and can't gift assets. So sometimes we're asked the question, well, how is transferring a large sum of money not considered gifting? And in this um, granny flats, we're basically looking at a person being provided with that right to accommodation. So it, it's not classified as a gift in most circumstances. But of course, with all rules, there are exceptions. Basically, where a person transfers just the title of their home, there is no test of reasonableness. Where the person pays for the building of a granny flat on the person's property or an extension to the property, if they pay just the cost, there is no test of reasonableness. Where a person purchases property in another person's name, no test of reasonableness. But where a person does those things and provides additional cash or where the person simply pays for ca pays cash for that right to accommodation, then we apply the test of reasonableness. What this is, it's looking at a person's age and life expectancy and determining, based on their age and life expectancy, what do we what do we allow a reasonable amount to be paid for that right to accommodation? So the younger the person is, the larger the 
amount of reasonableness test would be. And the older the person is, obviously, the smaller that amount would be. So, for example, if, if someone transfers their $800,000 house... Um, that's fine. There's no that test fine. on. But if they transfer their eight hundred thousand dollars house and then say give them a hundred thousand dollars for 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 ongoing expenses or or yes. whatever, we're going to look at the whole lot. Then. We're going to look at the whole value in that example of nine hundred thousand dollars being the value, and we're then going to apply the test of reasonableness. So based on that person's age, if for example the reasonable amount was four hundred and fifty thousand, that person would then be assessed as having made a gift of four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So so before people start going down and transferring houses on this they need to come and talk to um to you to find out what the um what the uh the rules are absolutely because these these seem quite complex yeah quite complex and quite very popular at the moment we're getting quite a lot of inquiries so the um the financial information service which is the role i have within the department of human services we're the best people to talk to about granny flat rules um but yes i would strongly suggest people so is there a a 1800 number or something or do they have to make an appointment or what what do you do to contact the financial information service you can call the retirements line and that's one three two three double zero um that line now has uh, the option at the very beginning to ask for a financial information service officer. You could be transferred to someone on the phone. Uh, We may be able to assist the inquiries over the phone, but certainly if a person would like to make an appointment, they can do so over that that phone line um, and go into their local office to have a chat. Quite often in this situation, people like to come in with their their child. Most commonly, it's their child they're creating these rights with um, so that they're sitting together to get all the information Mm -hmm. they need. Yeah. Nice, because I could see this could easily go wrong and be quite complex and cost a lot of money to fix. Yeah, uh, from a um, Centrelink perspective, we don't require any paperwork from the customer to show they've established a granny flat right, but we do strongly suggest they seek legal advice Mm. uh, to protect their own interests. Because just a stamp sheet on a a large house. Exactly. So that's you know that's one of those things the person receiving the asset. Mm. um, We're Mm. looking at stamp duty. Um, You also need to be aware of you know that we have a fifty percent divorce rate in this country. So if you're transferring a large asset to a child uh, and their marriage breaks down, you know, we've got implications for the the person um, in terms of where might they live in the future. So we've just got about a minute left. So could you just tell us what happens when the person leaves the granny flat for for, for any reason? Say they go into retirement village or nursing care, what happens there? Yeah, there are specific rules surrounding vacating a granny flat right. Basically, where a person has been residing there for at least five years from the date that it's um, been set up, there's no implications at all in vacating the granny flat. If the person vacates within five years, then we do need to look at the time it was established, was it reasonable to foresee they would be living there for five years? And if it wasn't, if they vacated because of a foreseeable event, then potentially we do look back at those gifting rules for the remainder of the five years. Okay. So okay. that's made things a lot clearer, hasn't it? Well, it's made clear that, 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 that yes, you can do these transactions, but you need to get advice. I Indeed. Mean, I mean, just on the house transfer, there, you know, there could be tens of thousands of stamp duty on that, and you, you don't want the thing going wrong after you've paid that. Absolutely. Now, we're looking forward, Mandy, to having you coming along and bringing us up to date with Centrelink things through the year. Um, that should be something to look forward to yeah. on Thursday Finance. Thank you, Mandy Barton. Thank you. And thank you, Stephen Pritchard. And we'll be back Thanks, next Jane. Thursday.